Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Um, what is today? What is today? Hmm. What is today? In the most holistic of senses, I guess, today is the day the Lord has made. That would be true of every single day. So what makes today unique among other days? Well, we could look at the calendar and say, well, today is Tuesday. Ooh, taste and see Tuesday. Let us help. Let us help others taste and see that the Lord is good. You might say that, uh, Today is December the 1st. You might say that today is uh, the day you're going to start reading the Gospel of Luke with us during this season of Advent. You might say that today is someone's birthday. You may know someone whose birthday is today. You may say that um, today is many, many things. Today is um, a day of grief for a number of people. And sometimes when we think about what a day means and what a day is, we need to be mindful of what this day is in the life of someone else. And so why highlight that? Well, because it was one year ago today that Eric Reed, um, whose blog I follow at Eric Reed, and Reed is R-E-E-D, ericreed.blog, it was one year ago today that um, his son, Caleb, died. Caleb was uh, born March 8th, 2004, and he died on December 1st, 2019. And so in the Reed family, today is Tuesday. Today is um, a part of the beginning of the season of Advent. Today is December the 1st. But today is also a day that will forever be marked by the death of Caleb. So I want you to just think about that for just a moment. When, when you think about um, the people you will encounter today, the myriad places and faces you will, um, you will encounter, <clears throat> there's a lot of grief out there. Today might be in that person's life um, the day that divorce papers were uh, received or signed or a divorce finalized, or today might be the day that they remember receiving um, a particularly bad diagnosis, or today might be the day, um, there's any number of things. So when you think about today, yes, it's absolutely a good and a great day to start uh, working through the 25 days of the Christmas story which we highlighted with Joshua Straub at the end of, I guess, maybe two weeks ago now. Um, Yes, today's a great day for that because it's 25 days to Christmas. Like the countdown begins. You should be making your list and checking it twice. Um, You should be thinking about Christmas cards and a Christmas tree and Christmas gifts and probably not Christmas visits or trips, but, uh, you know, celebrations nonetheless. Um, You're going to be rethinking traditions this year for sure. 
what we've come to expect is going to be disrupted. No question about that. Today is different because of the pandemic. What, what is today? What if today you just ask that question of other people? What is today for you? What is today for you? For some people, today could be the day of salvation. This is the day the Lord has made. We rejoice. We are glad in it. Even in the midst of grief, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Um, The Reed family does not grieve as a family who has no hope. They grieve as a family who put their hope in Jesus Christ and who live with the confidence of resurrection unto newness of life in him. If that is not the hope with which you live, then let me invite you to consider making today the day of salvation. It is just a matter of turning to God and saying, I, I recognize that I need you desperately, that without you, I am hopeless and hopelessly lost, and that with you, everything looks different from here to eternity. I receive the good gift that you offer me in the person of Jesus Christ. I receive what he did for me on the cross for the forgiveness of not only my sin, but the sin of the world. Like, I, I receive it. I accept it. I acknowledge my sin, and I acknowledge and confess my faith in Jesus Christ. Just turn to God and say that, and let today forever be for you the day of salvation. Up next, Justin Gibney joins me. AndCampaign.org is on a mission to educate and organize Christians for civic and cultural engagement. I love talking with Justin. He also lives in Georgia. So we're going to talk about the runoff, runoffs underway there. We'll be right back. Justin Gibney. You can find Justin and his work at andcampaign.org. Justin, welcome back. Hey, Carmen. Always glad to be here. Mm, It's always good to have you. Um, Let's talk about what's going on in your fair state of Georgia. I don't know. Give me the over and the under on what's happening there in the runoffs. Uh, It's a lot. Uh, I think maybe it was last week we had the um, vice president here, but we have two runoffs. We have two Senate spots that went into runoffs because nobody got 50 plus one. Uh, And so we have two races that really will, you know, decide who is in control of the Senate. So this Georgia is the center of the political universe right now. And all attention is on us. Uh, A lot of money and uh, messaging uh, coming through here. And you turn on the television, you cannot (laughs) <laughs> get away from from all the different ads that are popping up. So it's a it's a serious time and a serious uh, election, and uh, I just am kind of ready for it to be over. <laughs> all right. So it um, right now uh, there people can still register to vote in Georgia. Um, this runoff is going to take place in early January, January the fifth. Do I have that right? That's correct. I could. You know, sometimes I make stuff up, so it's, so it's always good to check my facts. Um, and these candidates are um, are very different, and and there's a lot of conversation um, about faith, in in particular in relationship to one of the candidates. Um, talk about um, talk about uh, Pastor Warnoff. Yeah, so um, 
Pastor uh, Ralph Warnock um, is the pastor at at uh, uh, MLK's uh, the church that MLK's father uh, a pastor that he co-pastored with his with his father, a uh, very well-known pastor in the city of Atlanta, and I think he's he's really uh, kind of put forward a lot of uh, talk about justice, and I think he's kind of put that at the beginning of his platform. Uh, he's gotten some pushback for some things that he said in the. Uh, in the pulpit that have kind of been run as commercials that, you know, a lot of folks may disagree with. So there's a conversation about whether he is, is, is showing enough respect to the police and things of that nature. He says very clearly, and there's another, you know, there's ads where he has people in the uh, police field uh, in law enforcement that are saying he does have respect for law enforcement. So it's, it's a big uh, back and forth, but it's uh, he's been the, the bigger target than probably any other candidate uh, when it comes to these uh, runoff elections. Yeah, it's an, a very interesting group of people. Um, it's a very interesting conversation. And it's about to get, you know, maybe even more interesting because uh, the current president of the United States and the president-elect are apparently both going to come and campaign uh, because this is a critical, this is a critical time um, because how these two runoff elections, um, how they end is going to determine the balance of power uh, in the U.S. government because uh, it will determine the balance of power in the U.S. Senate. So critical, critical conversations and a critical time. We want to encourage people, if you um, are eligible to register to vote in the state of Georgia, you know, do so because everybody, every, everybody counts and everybody's vote ought to be counted. Um, and so we just want to encourage you, if you're listening and you live in Georgia, to do that. Um, Justin, how about let's take a very brief break. When we come back, let's talk about Giving Tuesday. Um, we talked about uh, churches helping churches a long time ago with you, and I'd like to circle back around to that conversation on this Giving Tuesday and have you give us an update. The website is churchrelief.org. We'll be right back. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Continuing my conversation with Justin Gibney, we like to talk about everything at the intersection of politics and faith, social justice and moral order, um, and we don't do so um, in ways that pit those convictions against one another, but recognize the complementary nature of, um, of justice and the role that justice plays in real faith uh, as Christians here in the United States of America. Um, Justin, talk with us about, on this Giving Tuesday, about what is happening uh, in the Churches Helping Churches initiative, which folks can find at churchrelief.org. Sure. Uh, so this initiative started uh, really at the beginning of, of the, the COVID crisis. Uh, I had friends who are who are pastors of churches that are in low-income areas, and they were just really worried about making it through the crisis, being able to open their doors once this was all over. And so I got the idea to 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 raise money for them, to be the church that we're supposed to be, to say, hey, if anybody's going to take care of the church and make sure that they open their doors, it should be the church uh, and that we should help each other. So came up with the Churches Helping Churches idea where we gave uh, grants to churches in low-income areas to make sure that they made it through uh, uh, the, the, the crisis, the second um, 
we're in the second phase of churches helping churches, which is a giving, giving grants to these same churches in these low income areas that are really pillars of those communities that get, provide resources and all these things within those communities. And we want to make sure that they can continue to do that. And so we're trying, we're challenging Christians all over the country to help low income uh, churches make it through and, and be that resource for their communities uh, that we need them to be. Justin, um, I yeah, this is this is the right thing to be doing, and this is the right time to be doing it. It's Giving Tuesday. If you've been, you know, saying to yourself, "Hey, I don't know, uh, I don't, I don't know where to give that it would make a difference," um, you know, we just want to encourage you to be looking broadly. Consider the ways that you can support um, congregations in low-income neighborhoods, uh, in addition to supporting your own congregation and ministries that you know are are at the heart for you. Um, I, I was noting on your Twitter feed, which if folks want to follow Justin on Twitter, it's Justin E, the letter E, Gibbony, Justin E. Gibbony. Um, I was noting on your Twitter feed this piece um, at mereorthodoxy.com by uh, Gracie Olmstead. Talk with us about um, family. And I think when we think about family, we often just think about whatever definition family has for us in terms of the way we grew up and family means a lot of different things uh, to people today. And so when we talk about um, supporting families, what are some of the considerations that need to be, you know, making their way through our minds when we talk about, you know, family, families mattering, family matters. How can we support families today? Great question, uh, Carmen. First of all, Gracie Olmstead is 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 brilliant. She's a, a brilliant writer, and she wrote an article uh, entitled uh, "Markets and the Strangulation of the American Family," uh, where it really talks about how our markets are set up make it very tough for families to thrive, especially uh, poor uh, minority families. Uh, she gives gives examples of you know women having to go back to work just a week after they had a child. Uh, how how poor women often have to put their kids in unhealthy, unsafe situations just to go to the job that's not even going to really allow them to put food on the table. Uh, and so she's really calling for a paradigm shift for us to reevaluate what the purpose of our markets are. Uh, who are they meant to serve? And really, is it's a challenge to Christians to say, well, we say we're we're pro-family. But is that seen in our economic uh, policy and really challenging folks to to put that in economic policy? So whether it's uh, paid leave and those things for women who are pregnant, these are uh, issues that Christians should care about because they really do impact families and the health of families. All right. So when we think about um, I did a I did a thing in the first hour today where I asked one of my guests to just go ahead and become the secretary of education for the next four years. What would you do? Um, let me ask that same question. You get to be the secretary of my new um, cabinet-level position on the family. Um, what what are you going to do, Justin Gibney? What do we need to be thinking about at the national level in terms of, I mean, you mentioned like parental leave, um, but what are some of the other things that we could do? What, what might you envision um, on the family front? Yeah, I mean, that paid family leave is, is a really big one. So I don't want to skip over it too, too, too quickly because that's one of the issues that I think can be done in a bipartisan way uh, to allow family to take off time to take to take care of family. And then you also have to look at, you know, some of the stuff that may seem a little harder, but shouldn't be shouldn't be really partisan. Uh, you got to look at uh, uh, daycare and helping uh, women 
who are in tough situations be be put in a position where they can put their kids into safe daycares uh, and into daycares that we would all want to put our kids into and, and give them that choice. And so there's a lot of uh, different policies that we can push forward. Again, I think the low hanging fruit is the paid family leave, something that's robust that allows families to really thrive in these situations. But you again, you also have to talk about you know. Uh, how how are we making sure that these the healthcare looks? I mean, healthcare is a big you know conversation here, and I think it's something that should be accessible to everyone. Now, the the exact way that we can do it, let's have that debate in earnest. But it's something that can really hurt families when someone gets sick and they have to spend all their money just to make sure that they don't pass away. I, I think we're in a position where we can do better than that. Yeah, I think in our um, in our thinking about family and family matters, there are ways that Christians across whatever political or partisan divisions we might have, there are some things where we can say, you know what, to be pro-life is to be pro-family. And that means I'm anti-poverty and I'm pro-real access to education. And I'm, um, that's, that's really good. Um, And I'm pro-opportunity zones and I'm pro, like, I'm I'm pro things because I'm pro family and I'm pro family because I'm pro life and I'm pro life because I'm a Christian. And we have to think I I think Justin a lot more broadly about what it means to be pro life. It needs to be a lot more robust than just a I'm I mean it certainly needs to include I'm against abortion. So I better say that because I'm going to get added. But <laughs> it, yes, I'm I'm anti-abortion, but to be pro life means more than that. That that's exactly right. Uh the AN campaign has a whole life perspective. Uh, and so we are certainly uh, uh, pro-life. Uh, we believe that the unborn have dignity and, and should be given a chance uh, to live. But it doesn't end there. And I think people should be just as passionate and tenacious about other pro-life, what I see as other pro-life issues, like these family matters that we've just talked about, as they are about uh, the unborn. Uh, once we do that, I think we get the credibility to to have some of these other conversations, but we can't limit uh, the conversation to just one aspect of life. Yeah, that's right. All right, um, Justin, always a joy, always a gift. Um, happy Advent. Hey, do you do do you do stuff with your kids in like the lead up to Christmas? Is that something that you guys do in your family? Yeah, we do. I mean, I, you know, I, I just decided in listening to you earlier that I'm going to read through Luke with them. Uh, so, so a lot of times, yeah, so we, I usually do a part of Luke, but we haven't read through the whole thing together. So usually it's, it's, a, it's a piece of it, but I think we're going to read through the whole thing starting tonight. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy because you get to the resurrection on on Christmas. Yep. Yeah. So, which, you know, helps you connect the two things. All right. Hey, Justin Gibney, as always, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate you. And we look forward to talking with you again. Thank you, Carmen. Take care. You too. You can find Justin at andcampaign.org. We'll be right back. All right, if I were just to say the word divorce, who comes to mind? Who comes to mind when I say the word divorce? Maybe um, the person who comes to mind is the one you see when you look in the mirror. Maybe the person uh, who comes to mind is a parent, uh, or maybe it is your child. Maybe the person who comes to mind is your grandchild whose parents are going through a divorce. Maybe uh, it's your neighbor. Maybe it is uh, that family at church 
who you recognize um, has gone through a divorce and now you don't know how to relate to them. Divorce. Divorce is real. It is painful. Um, it is a tragic consequence of the fall. And we're going to talk about it with Vicki Lawson. She is the author of Whole. Whole. Finding Faith, Hope, and Love in the Wake of Divorce. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Lakato. God's word to Joshua is God's word to us. Be strong and of good courage. Do not cower before your woes. Take the land God has given to you to possess. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king, and the mighty men of valor. God did not say, Joshua, take the city. God said, Joshua, receive the city I have taken. Joshua did not go forth hoping to win. He knew that God had already won. The same can be said about you and your challenge. God says, receive the blessing of my victory. You see, the question is not, will you overcome? It is, when will you overcome? Life will always bring challenges, but God will always give strength to face them. This is Max Lakeda. Lawson, among other things, author of Whole, Finding Faith, Hope, and Love in the Wake of Divorce. Vicki, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Thank you so Good much morning. for uh, having me and giving some attention to this, this difficult topic. Absolutely. So when we say the word divorce, um, any number of people might come to mind um, in my own family. Uh, right. Uh, I might have um, my kids that I'm raising in my home. Right. The word divorce comes to mind because I'm not their, you know, I'm not their bio mom. Right. Uh, uh, the word divorce okay. might bring to mind um, my my sister might bring to mind dear friends might bring to mind families in the church who I now have a difficult time knowing exactly how to engage with them. So let's talk about the um, the reality of divorce in our culture and then maybe talk about the reality of it in your own life, which is really the groundwork for the conversation we're going to have about the book. The book is Whole, Finding Faith, Hope, and Love in the Wake of Divorce. I have copies to give away. If this is your topic, if this is your issue, if this is your point of need, go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484. You're up on the broad subject of divorce. Yeah. Um, I, I love what you say about everybody has someone that comes to mind. And um, in my life, it has been parents. It has been myself. It has been a sister. It has been a best, two best friends. And it, it's, it touches so many lives. And, and where I think, the the biggest uh, the saddest issue is is that when divorce comes often people turn away from their church family they feel shame maybe they feel guilt maybe they're um 
maybe they're shunned because people don't know what to say. They don't know how to engage. So they just smile and walk the other way. And, and this whole separation happens just when people really need their faith and their faith family the most. Um, there's, there's over 780,000 divorces a year in America. And of the divorced people walking around in America, 74% of them identify as Christian. And yet mm. we're not seeing them in our in our faith communities in any kind of um, massive way. They kind of well, they don't disappear. know how to be there. Yeah, yeah they, they disappear. Don't know how and to be there. One of the observations that you make, and I um, I highlighted this. Um, they hear they hear us rightly say that God hates divorce, but in hearing that, they hear us say God hates divorced people. Exactly. And that's exactly. just not wrong. I mean, that's and, just wrong, and, and that's just not true. God, God, God loves the uh, the wounded and the brokenhearted. He's very near to the brokenhearted. We don't communicate that um, frequently enough. And part of the challenge is, um, and you make this right observation, we really have made an idol of marriage, um, and we have yeah. done so in in ways that suggest to people who have marriages that fail, which are a lot of people, um, that they are, you know, that's the sin that just can't be forgiven. Exactly. And, and yet when we, when we look at scripture, um, Jesus himself said that, um, divorce was given as a concession for your hardened hearts. It, it wasn't that way from the beginning, but it's, it's a concession from a loving creator who gives second chances freely to everyone. You know, the, the thief on the cross, the woman at the well, we see, we see Jesus lifting people up for a second chance over and over again, and yet we struggle with it as a church body. Yeah, and we absolutely do. I love the resources that you bring to bear on that and the encouragement um, that you give to people who are walking this journey. Um, let me just say the book, Whole, Finding Faith, Hope, and Love in the Wake of Divorce, is really written to um, to anybody who— is sort of along this path right now, um, you might be in receipt of divorce papers. You might be filing those uh, today. Um, you might, the, the divorce might actually be uh, in the rearview mirror, but the reality of your brokenness is in the foreground uh, and you know it. So this is really, um, this is really written to a, a broad range of uh, of people, the the wake of divorce is good language. Um, we think about wake in a couple of different ways, uh, Vicky. We think about it as that which is created, you know, the turbulence that's created in water when a boat goes through, and you got to deal with the wake. But right. we also think about it as the term of what we do when something dies, right? Right. We have a we right. have a wake, and so two. yeah, so something has died, and that's part of what you deal with uh, in the book is that there is real grief. And there is real brokenness. Mm -hmm. And we are going to repeat behaviors if we do not take the time to address the decisions that we made that led us into the relationship that ultimately failed. Right. And it isn't just the decision and the choice. It's, it's digging a little deeper and saying, why did I choose 
And, and by that, I mean, what in my history, in my beliefs, in my assumptions, in, in my experience in life led me to that and, and making those corrections at a heart level, it, um, it, it isn't something that you necessarily um, think your way through 100%. You have to feel your way through it as well. Um, in, in the book, I give the example, and, and probably the biggest one that people carry out of divorce is anger. Hmm. And, and that anger keeps them tethered in ways to their ex. And until they address the anger, and all the anger is is a shield, a shield and a sword that, that you think is protecting you. You got the idea that that anger would protect you somewhere in your formative years. That isn't something you developed at age 30 when somebody got mad at you. That was developed when you were three, four, five, six years old. And so it's ingrained. It's, 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 it's your reality. It's your idea of life. Being able to let go of, of anger and realize really God, God is your protector. God is your provider, not your ex. Um, when I went through divorce, um, my husband was was assigned a child support amount and he never paid. Mm -hmm. And I was so upset with that. And at one point, my best friend said, Vicki, you just have to plan your life that he is not going to pay that. He mm -hmm. is not capable. He was an addict. He is not capable. He might he might be back. He might come out of this. But she said, you just have to plan your life. He's not going to pay you anything. And that reality was freeing. I didn't have to be mad about it. I didn't have to fight anymore. I could just plan my life in a different way while he was making his unhealthy choices that, I guess, compulsions would be a better word when you look at addiction. Um, and life got much more peaceful when I did that, and I was able to forgive him. I am talking with Vicki Lawson, L-O-S-S-O-N, if you're looking for her online. The book is Whole, Finding Faith, Hope, and Love in the Wake of Divorce. I do have copies to give away. Um, again, if this is if this is your issue, um, if this is the issue with which you need liberation and help, um, text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll enter you in the drawing for the books we have available to give away today. Vicki and I are going to take a very brief break, and then we'll continue this conversation. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Continue my conversation with Vicki Lawson, author of Whole, Finding Faith, Hope, and Love in the Wake of Divorce. Um, Vicki, let's, uh, let's, let's give people some equipping here. Um, let's talk about, um, we've talked a little bit about anger. We've talked about, you know, the need to forgive. Um, unforgiveness mm -hmm. certainly prevents people from being able to move forward. Let's talk a little bit about the church and, um, and Christians like myself. It, there's that um you you deal with this in the book um there's that weirdness like right so <laughs> i don't i don't want to till someone else's soil like right i don't want to dig around in someone else's pain and hurt i also mm -hmm. want to acknowledge and recognize 
you know, they're now not a couple. They are now a mm-hmm. an individual. Um, I want to have an ongoing relationship with them, but it's almost like starting over. And I think that that in and of itself, that that feeling that you're starting over is is maybe the the foundation of the issue. You you aren't starting over. This is the same person that you knew. You knew him as Bob and Sally. Now you just know now you still know Bob and you still know Sally. Um, Mm -hmm. you can still say, Hey, Sally, you want to get a cup of coffee? Um, you can, if, if that was part of your relationship, um, I think kind of the key is to not change your relationship, your approach, because that person is still that person. They're just outside of the, um, outside of the marriage, but as, as friends and as a church family, we weren't in that marriage with them. We were friends and, and the relationship is where the, the power lies and the, the connection lies. You know, people go to church with people they like. People go to church with people that make them feel comfortable. And if all of a sudden we're like, oh, Sally, you poor thing, how are you doing? Well, now Sally, Sally feels pitied. She feels change. She doesn't feel connection she feels uh, differentiated. So staying normal with our friends and just being their friend and letting them go through this process and letting them reach out and hold your hand when they need it is, it's, is kind of the basics of, of friendship in any transition. You know, if, if a, an acquaintance of yours had a parent die, you wouldn't you wouldn't reach out to them differently necessarily. You would say, "Hey, I'm so sorry for your loss. Is there anything you need?" And you would let them lead that. Whereas with divorce, there's there's we we consider it such a spiritual um, pit that we we treat people differently. Um, for instance, there's no question about it. Married, I think we do. So I think we do the same thing. I think we have all kinds of weirdness in the church when it comes to relationships. And so, um, I think <laughs> that we imagine that childhood cancer is somehow catching like, right. We don't know how to, we don't know how to engage with people who's, I mean, we just don't, we're just, we're weird. We're, we, we act weird right. toward other people and we shouldn't. So, um, those are some of the hurdles we're trying to get over today with Vicki. Um, we're trying to do it in, specifically in relationship to divorce. But I'm going to acknowledge that um, the the conversation that we're having is applicable across a range of topics. Um, divorce is not catching. Mm-hmm. Um, that new single person mm-hmm. is not now after your spouse. Um, and, you know, you're going <laughs> to guard the sanctity of your own marriage and marriage bed. And we're going to uplift marriage in appropriate ways. But we're also going to acknowledge that a marriage died, and this is a person who's moving through a grief process, and they're going to find their footing, um, and we're going to have an ongoing relationship with them as a sister or brother in Jesus Christ. And so this is a family affair for us as the church. Um, We have individuals within the church who have divorce as a part of their experience. And so how are we going to deal with that? Is that a good summation of the church part? I. Yeah, I think that's an absolutely fabulous summation. And and to not 
try and lay blame. So often our questions are, well, what happened? Well, what did he do? What did she do? Like, like somebody had to have ill intent when really it's just two people who, who didn't know how, you know, we don't, we don't get oh, after a, a toddler the when they take a few steps and fall down. They take a few steps, they fall down and we cheer them on to the next few steps. But with divorce, all of a sudden, oh, you fell down. What did you do wrong? And we, we take it upon ourselves to, to um, pick it apart and, and try and be fixers. And, you know, we, we're not saviors. That's God's job. We got to do the people job and love each other. So talk about the because you um you I'm trying to find the page and I'm not landing upon it right away. Um you talk about not being equipped, not being prepared for the kind of marriage that, you know, ultimately you have now. Um talk about that. Talk about the fact that we only know how to relate in the ways that we've experienced or been related to, which means a massive percentage of the population is completely unprepared for the kind of marriage that everybody wants. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we we learn how to be in relationship from the relationship that we have in our in our family of origin and the relationship we see between our parents. That is our normal. So we grow up and we hit our 20s and we think, hmm, I should I you know, I want to be married. I want to be in this relationship. And we take what we observed of our parents' marriage and observed of our parents' connection to us, and we apply that to our own marriages. And oftentimes, our parents' marriages weren't healthy, or we only saw, you know, 30% of that actual marriage relationship. So we go out in the world thinking that this is easy, thinking we don't have to bear, not, not even realizing we should be thinking about bearing our souls or being vulnerable. Um, we, we go in it kind of with with blinders on and rose-colored glasses, thinking that that all I all all you need is is love, and in fact, our 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 version of love is often just infatuation. Um, as I as I point out in the book, I am divorced twice. My first husband and I had no communication skills whatsoever. We we just expected the other one to know what we wanted, and when I tried to talk to him. Um, he used to pretend to be asleep when, you know, we'd lay down in bed at night and I'd be like, hey, babe, I would like to talk about something. He would just kind of pretend he was falling asleep and then And you're, and you're suggesting to us that's wrong. Like, right? That's not healthy. I but there are some people listening right now who are saying to themselves, well, that's perfectly normal. So how we define no, normal is, is a part of the book, right? And I, I love that. I like we. We have to, you and I could talk all day, but we actually have to bring this conversation to a close. But I just, I just, I know, I so appreciate this approach. Um, Tell people where they can find you online. You can go to VickiLawson.com. And Lawson is L-O-S-S-O-N. Yep. VickiLawson.com. The book is whole. Finding Faith, Hope, and Love in the Wake of Divorce. I do have books to give away. Again, if this is your heart area and you need some help in this area, um, go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll enter you into the drawing that we have for the copies available here in studio. And visit with Vicki at Vicki Lawson, L-O-S-S-O-N.com. Vicki, thank you so much. What a gift. What a joy. Thank you, Carmen. I appreciate it. 
I hope we can talk again soon. I've really enjoyed this. All right, friends, we got to wrap it up right there. Uh, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Okay, so we have some leftovers on my list today. I know. Do you have leftovers? What are you doing with your leftovers from Thanksgiving? What's on your leftover list every day? Um, what do you do with your leftover list? So I have this, like, you know, to-do list every day, and then I migrate it over as the leftovers list. Um, I, it's only Tuesday. My leftovers list for the show would already be, like, a whole nother day of show. Anyway, um, I have leftovers today on Merriam-Webster's uh, Dictionary Word of the Year. Maybe we'll pick up on that uh, tomorrow. What would yours be? What would be the word of the year? If you got to pick a word of the year, you should be thinking about that. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Um, what's on your Advent playlist? I'd like to know that as well. It's Taste and See Tuesday. So what are you doing with your actual leftovers? Here's an idea. Get your waffle um, iron out. Put a Spray it down really good. Put a scoop of dressing in it and have that as the basis of a meal. Oh, my goodness. Put the turkey, the taters on top. Unbelievable. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.